You're listening to the one and only Writing Wall Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacey Hawks. This podcast is for indie writers and also traditional writers with ties to North Carolina. We also feature local authors from my backyard here in Allegheny County, North Carolina. Tune in every second and fourth Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we talk with our Writers of the Week, dive into some book reviews, and give shout-outs to authors, poets, and storytellers from across the writing communities of Twitter and Instagram. You can even catch bonus Writing Corner Wednesday episodes throughout the month that feature author readings. To keep up with all the latest, follow us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at writingsonthewall85. Because we all have a story, we want to hear yours. Good evening and welcome to this episode of the Writing Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and I'm here with our Writer of the Week. George Ann Eubanks is a writer, documentary filmmaker, and consultant. After many years of service to the humanities and literary arts in North Carolina, she has been named literary executor and director of the Paul Green Foundation, charged with preserving the progressive legacy of North Carolina's Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright and human rights advocate. George Ann is the author of such books as The North Carolina Literary Trail Series, guidebooks commissioned by the North Carolina Arts Council, The Month of Their Ripening, North Carolina Heritage Foods, Through the Year, and the forthcoming Saving the Wild South, The Fight for Native Plants on the Brink of Extinction, all from the University of North Carolina Press. Welcome, George Ann, and thank you for taking part in this week's podcast. Glad to be here, Stacy. Please share with listeners a little about yourself. Well, I'm a writer. I live in Carborough, which is, people like to joke, a little to the left of Chapel Hill and always one degree cooler. Uh, we have great restaurants and a lot of fun things to do here. And I also spend some time in the mountains up in little Switzerland, and I do my writing in both places. I pretty much make my living as a writer and have for a number of years and work with UNC Press, which is my publisher, and got a new book coming out. Just got the cover this week, and I'm really excited about it. Who are a what inspired you to start writing? You know, I think I was always interested in publications. At least that's kind of where it started. When I was very young, living, growing up in Atlanta, I used to trace the gothic letters on the Atlanta Journal masthead. I was just fascinated with typography. And my friends and I used to make newspapers and send them to each other. And so by the time, and I was interested in radio too, I have to say, and used to pretend that I had a radio show. And by the time I got to high school, I was continuing to be interested in writing. I had some great teachers who encouraged me and I got involved with the high school newspaper. And then I went to college and I thought, you know, I'm not going to do all these extracurricular things. I'm just going to pay attention to my studies. Well, it wasn't very long before I got involved in most of the publications at Duke and I ended up being chair of the publications board, which was sort of the publisher for the student newspaper and yearbook and literary magazine. So I I threw myself back in about as hard as you can. So I've been kind of doing that ever since. You have your own blog and it's titled Food Pilgrim. Can you share with us what topics you cover and how it got started? Yeah. So my last book was about North Carolina heritage foods and the 
criteria for picking those foods was things that come available just once a year that are very special. They don't last all year long. Things like making snow cream in January or the ramps that grow in the mountains of North Carolina in April or the fig tree that I have in my backyard here in Carborough that's so persnickety but wonderful when it bears fruit. And, you know, of course, we love oysters in the winter months. And so I had so much fun meeting people who were growing these foods, who knew about these foods that I decided once I'd finished the book, which was 12 chapters, 12 months, I decided I would continue my pilgrimage around the state and beyond and write about foods that teach us something about our mortality or, you know, the ephemeral nature of, of our lives. Today, I just posted an entry on my blog about a woman in Colorado who happens to be a friend of my brother who churns her own butter and flavors it and puts probiotics in it so that it's a very healthy living butter. As she says, most of the butter we get at the grocery is actually dead butter, as she calls it. And so she makes these delicious different flavors, sweet and savory of butter. And my brother sent me five samples in the mail with dry ice. And for a friend's birthday party up in Ash County this past weekend, we sampled the butters and it was fascinating. And then I called the butter maker up and interviewed her and, and that was my blog this week. So it's just a lot of fun and it keeps me trying new things. So is there a favorite recipe that you enjoy making? Oh gosh, there's so many things I like, but I have to say that I've spent a fair amount of time uh, in New Mexico for various reasons, back and forth. Haven't been in a while and I'm really missing it, but I learned something about making enchiladas and red and green chili sauces. And so I guess my favorite thing to make is stacked enchiladas that are made with onions and cheese and then this red sauce that I make from the dried chilies that you can now buy at our grocery stores here in North Carolina. I have to agree with you there. That does sound pretty amazing. And now I'm going to be thinking about is Mexican food for the rest of the evening. <laughs> anyway, the other wonderful thing is your NC Literary Trail series that even I've had the pleasure of picking up a few times over the years. Share with listeners a little bit about that series. Yeah, that was a 10-year project, Stacy, And I started around 2003 or four, I was in a meeting at the North Carolina Arts Council in Raleigh and the deputy director of the Arts Council popped in and said, come see me after you finish your meeting. And I came to her office and she had read an article in the New York Times written by Josephine Humphreys, who is a novelist that lives in South Carolina, but she went to Duke and she's uh, just a great writer. And she had written a piece for the travel section of the New York Times about driving on the ocean highway. I 17 in South Carolina and going from point to point she was she was focusing on places that South Carolina writers had written about along that highway Pat Conroy and some other folks and so Nancy at our North Carolina Arts Council said why can't we do something like that for North Carolina but for the whole state and I said oh my gosh do you know how many writers associated with place we have in North Carolina and she said yes I do that's why we should do it she said well go home and think about it and give us a proposal and I ended up proposing three books doing the mountains, the Piedmont, and then the eastern part of North Carolina. 
And they agreed to it and they commissioned the book. And that's how I got associated with UNC Press. And each of those three volumes has 18 tours that you can drive or walk some of them in North Carolina and read excerpts from our poets and novelists and essayists and short story writers who have focused on places in North Carolina. So it's a way to kind of experience North Carolina through our writers' eyes and their own experiences. And in some cases, it's, you know, it's where a writer lived or it may be where a novel takes place or some of the places don't exist anymore. And, you know, Stacey, there were all these writers who came to North Carolina. Carolina in the 20th century, like Ernest Hemingway went hunting around Tryon. And of course, F. Scott Fitzgerald came to Asheville and hung out with Thomas Wolfe. And Marjorie Kennan Rawlings from Florida came up here and drafted The Yearling in Banner Elk. So there are a lot of other writers who were not North Carolina residents who also found inspiration here. And that was a lot of fun to research. But guess what? It took 10 years to do the three books. When readers pick up that literary trail series, regardless of what you're looking at, the mountains, the foothills, and of course, the eastern part of the state. You can tell all the hard work, the dedication, and obviously the love for this topic that went into creating this series. And of course, like any good author, I know that you probably had to do some traveling for the Literary Trail series across our great state. So tell us, what were some of your favorite literary pilgrimages that you went on while writing this collection and putting it together? Oh, wow. Well, I found that each of the three volumes was very different. You know, the themes were different for each part of the state. In the mountains, the great tradition of storytelling of people who didn't even know how to read, but they knew how to tell a story. You know, people who lived in isolation and kept their family stories alive by telling them. So I loved going back up in Madison County. Some of the more obscure, difficult roads to travel were just fascinating. And then in the Piedmont, we had the mill culture and the furniture making and agriculture piece. And so in the Piedmont, I'd say some of the smaller mill towns were particularly fascinating to me. And then in eastern North Carolina, instead of having to deal with rugged mountains, you've got to drive around or over or somehow. In the east, it's all about water. We have 17 river basins in North Carolina. And to get from where I live in the Piedmont to just about anywhere in the east, you've got to either go around or go over bridges because there's so much water. The photography in the North Carolina Literary Trail series is absolutely amazing. Who was the photographer for that book and for the month of the ripening? Share with listeners a little bit about how you came to work together on these projects. It's a natural, if you think about it, from all that traveling and going to all those great places like the Outer Banks, for example, that it would naturally then lead me to this food project, which Donna Campbell, who's the photographer for the Literary Trails and also for the month of their ripening. She and I ate in all these local restaurants and we just had such a good time. And that was after we'd sort of recovered from this 10 year process of covering the state, we said, let's do it again. And this time let's eat our way across North Carolina. So we did. We were hoping to work on a project together through the North Carolina Humanities Council. And that didn't work out. But not long after that, Donna and her sister were doing a lot of video production. And so I had a project that I 
I was asked to work on and I didn't really know video teams. And so I asked Donna and Susan if they would help me. And we had so much fun doing that project, which was about Governor Terry Sanford's last press conference a long time ago. We decided, well, let's uh, let's get into it. I said, can I play with you? Can I get into this documentary work? And so we've, we've made a number of documentary videos for North Carolina Public Television as well. I have to say the books are easier, if you can imagine, than all the interviews and tape recording that's involved in making a documentary. Was there a part in the Literary Trail series that you found particularly interesting or something that just sort of stood out to you and surprised you while you were researching? Well, one of my favorite stories was the fact that in Blowing Rock in 1936, and you might want to check me on this because I'm a little rusty. It's from the Mountains book, which goes back to 2004. But in 1936, there was a literary conference sponsored by a fellow from Rollins College in Florida, and he invited uh, Marjorie Kennan Rawlings, who I mentioned before, the author of The Yearling, to come to the literary conference. And while they were getting started, he got a call from Margaret Mitchell, who had just published Gone with the Wind, and people were calling her. They looked her up in the Atlanta telephone book and they called her and they started appearing on her front door. And she called this fella up in Blowing Rock and said, can I come to that literary conference? I've got to get out of town. And so she left the contract with David O. Selznick for the movie rights to Gone with the Wind. And she flew from, you know, flew out of Atlanta and drove to Blowing Rock and spent the weekend with Marjorie Kennan Rawlings and uh, some other fabulous writers. And the funny thing was Marjorie Kennan Rawlings won a big award that year. And then Margaret Mitchell won the next year. And there was also a writer I'd never heard of from Wilkes County who was at that literary conference. And her book was called Rain on the Just, and it was kind of forgotten, but then it was republished in 1980. When I went to Wilkes County to give a talk to the friends of the library there, people told me about this writer and they knew her. She was really quite remarkable, but she was not a native of the North Carolina mountains. So a lot of folks up in Wilkes County did not love her novel because she tells stories about the local people and they felt like she was not one of them. Margaret Mitchell is one of my favorite all-time authors and I'll talk a little bit more about her at a later date on the podcast. It's also believed that she wrote a portion of Gone with the Wind here in North Carolina upon one of her visits. So Georgianne, you have also spoken with many experts in their fields regarding food, especially when writing the month of their ripening. And you also discuss food that are going extinct? Is there a certain food here in the mountains that's going extinct? And what can we do to keep it from disappearing altogether? Yeah, so you point out how I got my book that's forthcoming, which is called Saving the Wild South. And it's about native plants that are on the brink of extinction. And so I guess you could say that it was my study of ramps around Cherokee and in the mountains of North Carolina that led me to think about endangered plants. Now, ramps grow wild and you can dig them up and plant them in your yard and they'll pretty much thrive if you plant them in the right place which is in the shade on a slope sort of north facing it's a really interesting bunch of ingredients that you've got to have good leaf litter and so forth to get the ramps to grow but the Cherokee people have been eating them for 3,000 years and you probably know Stacy, they're real strong 
they're kind of garlicky and you got to cook them or they'll just take your head off. But they're they're very delicious with eggs and potatoes. And what's happened is that our fancy chefs in New York City and everywhere else have discovered ramps as a special ingredient. And I read somewhere in the course of doing the research for that book that ramps for, were selling for something like $17 or $19 a pound at New York farmers markets. And of course, our chefs in North Carolina have been using ramps. In fact, I went to Vivian Howard's restaurant down in Kinston and she was serving ramps on top of soft shell crab, which is another one of the foods that's featured in my book on North Carolina foods. But to save the ramps, we've got to learn how to harvest them, which means we leave the roots in the ground. We cut them off with a sharp knife right at the ground but let the roots stay and then we won't destroy the ramp patch. What I started doing in this, there are a lot of people who do this, it's a little crazy. If I go to a, I've found them at convenience stores, I've found them in the back of trucks on the side of road where people are selling them. And if you find ramps that have the roots still on them, you can take them home and plant them and they'll come back. And so that's how I got my ramp patch going up in little Switzerland. So we can save them. We just got to know how to harvest them and to protect the ones that people are just, people have been wholesale pulling them up by the roots and clearing out patches that had been in one place forever. And the Cherokee people, families up there have their own private ramp patch. And, and the, the ethic in the tribe is that you don't mess with somebody's ramp patch, right? If that's your neighbor's patch, you don't pick from theirs. And if you do pick ramps, you either cut them off at the ground and leave the roots or you pick maybe every third or fifth one so that your patch comes back. So it's a kind of simple thing, but there's been such a run on ramps. It's just like poachers in Alabama in my new book. There are poachers who can get big money for carnivorous pitcher plants. You know, they're so beautiful and exotic and people pull those up and destroy populations that are now dwindled. The yellow pitcher plant that I write about in the new book, there are like less than 6,000 plants left on the planet. Aside from being an author, a writer, and a documentarian, Georgiana is also a teacher and she hosts the Table Rock Writers Workshop every year. This workshop is for writers at all levels. Where is it held, Georgiana, and how might other writers get involved? It's called Table Rock and it's named for the mountain that is in Burke County, but you can see it from the Wild Acres Retreat, which is where we hold our workshop. And that's actually right on the border of McDowell and Mitchell County. It's held the last week in August every year because of COVID. We didn't have it last year, which people missed it terribly. We're kind of a community. We always have welcome new writers, but there are some folks who come every year and it's kind of part of their writing practice to recharge their batteries at this event. And so we did, it didn't happen last year. So I opened registration for this year on March 1st. And guess what? We are already full. Now, part of the reason that we're full is that the retreat center right now is guaranteeing anybody who wants a single room can have a single room and not pay a special price. They just get it at the double room rate. There's going to be, you know, social distancing in the dining hall. And so the retreat center has to lower their numbers 
of people they can allow on the grounds at any given time. So right now we're full. I hope that restrictions loosen up by the time August comes around and maybe we can pick up some more folks who we are now taking a waiting list for. We have great faculty members in fiction, nonfiction, writing for children, poetry, and creative nonfiction. And these teachers, I learned a long time ago, Stacy, that the secret is to pick teachers who are generous, loving people who really want to help writers and don't believe in competition, who believe that we've all got a crack at making it as a writer and that people just need to be nurtured. So those are the kind of folks who teach at this workshop and it, it really works and it and people adopt that kind of generosity with each other. And it's not that we're soft on each other. We critique each other. We take each other seriously, but we do it gently and kindly so that people don't get destroyed, you know, for their first essay or first attempt at something new. It is absolutely terrific to hear that you all are able to go ahead and start the registration process for Table Rock. I wish you all all the best. I hope it is a very successful event. I know there's some very excited writers out there that are saying to themselves, bring on August. I'm ready for Table Rock. <laughs> oh, so ready. I'm going to be optimistic that this is going to happen. So we're we're excited and people are excited and the pent-up demand. I mean, I, I it kind of blew me away when I opened my computer on Tuesday morning and it, there were like 40 people registered. You mentioned your work on documentaries earlier in the interview and we know that you have your own media group titled Minnow Media that has filmed television documentaries. What has been your favorite documentary to work on or topic to cover over the years? Well, we've enjoyed all the projects. They're so labor intensive and they take literally years to do because, you know, you got to do the documentary, you got to raise the money. We've been lucky enough to raise money sometimes easily and sometimes not. But I would say a couple of documentaries our favorites. One is called Earthcaster, and it's about the artist Thomas Sayre, who lives in Raleigh and who does very large sculptures. They're like, he makes the ground the mold for the sculptures. So he digs out a space in the ground, he puts rebar in, he pours concrete into the ground and then lifts up these sculptures and stands them up and they're very beautiful and rustic. There's one in Lenore and that was actually where we began that documentary is shooting his uh, creation of a wheel sculpture in Lenore and it's one of the town's favorite pieces of art. They have a lot of art, sculptural art in Lenore. Thomas happens to be the great-grandson of Woodrow Wilson. His father was the head of the National Cathedral. He was the chief priest at the National Cathedral. So Thomas had quite an upbringing. He also suffered from dyslexia and was tortured by his peers when he was a youngster because he couldn't read very well. But he turned out to have an amazing artistic gift and he's pursued it. And now he's um, continuing to make these remarkably large, heavy sculptures. And we followed him for three years all around the country, um, making those pieces of art to Baltimore and to Portland, Oregon, and a couple of projects in North Carolina. So that was that was really amazing. And then another project we did was about um, migrant workers in North Carolina called Harvest of Dignity. And we sort of followed the formula that Edward R. Murrow, who's a North Carolina writer who grew up uh, south of Greensboro, Edward R. Murrow made a, a documentary 50 years before we made ours, and it was called Harvest of Shame, and it was about migrant camps and the living conditions of the people who uh, pick our food and grow our food. And so we followed 
what Edward R. Murrow had done and went and found that some of those same camps where the folks who harvest our food are working are still there. The people are different. In Murrow's era, they were African-Americans. Now they're mostly Hispanic folks. So it was a it was also a powerful experience to meet and document those folks that we all owe a debt of gratitude for because they give us our food. For listeners, we have placed a link to one of George Ann's documentaries in the description of this podcast. You're more than welcome to click on that link and have a look. George Ann, is Minnow Media planning any documentaries this year or next year? And if so, how might listeners watch? And as for past documentaries, where are they made available? They are available on YouTube and DVD. We did our last show, big show that we did was on the Malpas Brothers, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. They're brothers who sing old-fashioned country music, and they're just terrific. They grew up in Goldsboro, and they're now living in Roxboro, and they're still touring, and they still have really big hair like Elvis. So anybody could look that up online, the Malpas Brothers. Heading Home is the title of that documentary. We are in the process of redoing the Minnow Media website, and so probably best to look up uh, Thomas Sayre, the Earthcaster guy. And actually, the license for that documentary has just been renewed for American public television. It was shown nationally, and I suspect it will be again. We also have a piece on Billy Graham that we did many years ago when Ruth and Billy were still healthy enough to allow us to interview them. And I understand that's going to be rebroadcast this fall on public television when UNC or PBS North Carolina, as it's called now, is going to do a, a week of a religion in America documentaries. So um, people can find us. You can find us through UNC TV. And eventually, when I get around to it, I'll get this Minnow Media website back up and people can find our work there. We just decided to retool all that and it takes a little bit of time. Cannot wait to see the new website, Georgianne. If you could give writers who are aspiring authors any advice at all, what would it be? Well, you know, I've been thinking about where I am at this point in my writing life. And I realized that I had a client for about 13 years who I just stopped working with. They made some transitions. And so the publication that I was writing for them has been discontinued. But I realized that that publication, which involved about 10,000 words twice a year, interviewing people about their lives, was a discipline that really got me in the groove of being able to write long form. I have all my life written short pieces, and these were short pieces, but I had to do 10 of them at a time. And so it was kind of, you know, 10,000 words is about an eighth of the length of my my latest book on endangered plants. What I've learned from that is that it takes perseverance and practice to write long. It, it's not easy, but it can be done. And it took me a long time to get the confidence to realize that I could hang with it. It's still helpful to break it up into chapters. You know, it's always easier to get a chapter done and try to keep focused on one topic at a time. But it's kind of like I used to tell my students at Duke, I said, you know, people say, oh, I want to write a novel. And so they think because they've read a lot of novels, they can write one. You know, well, we don't say, gee, I'd like to play in the symphony and you just go buy an oboe and expect to be able to play in the symphony. I'm sorry, you have to practice. Practice is a lifetime journey. And so wanting to be a writer and doing the work are two different things. And you just got to do it and figure out how you do it best. You know, what's your best time of day? 
what are the things that make you excited. For me, it's writing about things I don't know. It's about learning new things that I didn't know before that kind of keeps me at it and trying to bring my readers along with me as we go into this process of discovery. I find that really satisfying. George Ann, thank you for your time and for sharing all of these wonderful insights into food, writing, heritage, and preservation with us here at the Writing Wall podcast. And also want to add congratulations on your upcoming book, Saving the Wild South, The Fight for Native Plants on the Brink of Extinction. It's not too late. You can still catch George Ann's article on our website, or you can visit George Ann's website. George Ann, how might listeners follow you and find your blog at The Food Pilgrim? Well, my website is georgianneubanks.net, and the spelling of Georgian, everybody tries to give me an extra E, but it's G-E-O-R-G-A-N-N, and then E-U-B-A-N-K-S, so you can find me there, and Food Pilgrim is on Substack, that wonderful new platform, but if you just type in Food Pilgrim Substack, I think you'll find me. Stacey, let me just say, you perform a great service for writers, and I appreciate how professionally and wonderfully you do your work, which, you know, all of us benefit from. So I just want to say thanks for that. I do truly appreciate that, Georgianne, and I could not do any of this without you writers out there willing to share your stories with us. So because everyone has a story, I want to hear yours. What is your story? I know a certain crime novelist that's going to share his stories with us all next week. Our next writer of the week is Keith Wright of Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can catch up with Keith on the blog at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday morning. And then tune in for an all-new episode of the Writing Wall podcast, Saturday, March 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many other platforms. Stick around because when I come back, we're going to be putting our green on for St. Patrick's Day. wish you could have some one-on-one time with a well-known author, ask questions about the craft or the business of writing, or maybe just wonder what it feels like to have people read your books, well, now you can. Join me, Stacey Hawks, and Allegheny Writers for Hooked on Books, an online session where experienced authors share their wisdom and answer questions submitted by Allegheny Writers members. Our next Hooked on Books segment will take place April the 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom with author Zoe M. McCarthy. Zoe is the author of Tailor Your Fiction Manuscript in 30 Days, The Irresistible Woman in a Blue Dress, and Calculated Risk. To join us on April the 8th, visit Allegheny Writers' website, www.alleghenywriters.com forward slash membership. can also follow Allegheny Writers on Twitter at Allegheny Writes and on Instagram at Allegheny Writers or Facebook for all the latest updates. Because everyone has a story, come here these wonderful authors share theirs with us and we promise we're gonna have you hooked on these books
everyone got your green on? I certainly hope so, because this segment we're going to be talking all things St. Patrick's Day and Irish. So we're going to pay homage to a few of the greatest Irish authors out there, and of course, the top among them is James Joyce. And the reason for that being is probably his book titled Ulysses, which parallels Homer's Odyssey, and it's definitely an interesting book to read if you haven't, give it a look. Probably the most fascinating thing that I've learned about James Joyce over the years is that every year on June 16th, this author's famous work is commemorated around the world with a series of literary events known as Bloomsday. Here's another great Irish author to consider, Jonathan Swift. He was a writer, poet, and he was also a cleric who became Dean of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. You're probably wondering what is Jonathan Swift famous for? Well, he's famous for a book called Gulliver's Travels. I'm sure some people have heard of that out there, and I'm sure that a lot of children are still enjoying Gulliver's Travels today. One of my all-time favorite authors is Mr. C.S. Lewis. If you've seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, who has been mistaken many times as a British novelist, is not. He is indeed Irish. To date, his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, have sold over 100 million copies in 41 different languages. If you were to ask me what my favorite C.S. Lewis book is, well, it would have to be Mere Christianity. I absolutely enjoyed that book. And I also enjoyed The Screwtape Letters, too. If you've not read that, give it a look. There are a few Irish author books out there now that you may not want to miss out on. One of them is by Danny Ellis titled The Boy at the Gate. It's in this book that Danny Ellis gives readers a glimpse into growing up in 1950s Dublin. If you enjoy a collection of stories, then you're going to enjoy Frank O'Connor. Frank O'Connor is one of the most famous Irish authors and writers. He has compiled a collection of touching short stories in this book against an Irish landscape. These stories of everyday lower class middle people unfold or give a look to The Wonder by Emma Donahue. She's probably best known for her book and breakout bestseller, Room. The Wonder explores the depth of human connection in life's most desperate situations. And of course, I'm not gonna go away without saying anything about the great Irish poets like William Butler Yeats or Patrick Cavanaugh or even Boland, or perhaps even the mother of legendary Oscar Wilde, Jane Wilde herself. So go out on St. Patrick's Day wearing your green, of course, because you don't want any leprechauns to pinch you, and buy, download, or just peruse a local bookstore for some great Irish authors. From all of us here at the Writing Wall blog and podcast, we want to wish our followers a very happy St. Patrick's Day this coming Wednesday, and we also want to leave you with a little Irish blessing. May love and laughter light your days and warm your hearts and homes. May good and faithful friends be yours wherever you may roam. May peace and plenty bless your world with joy that long endures. May all life's passing seasons bring the best to you and yours. Stick around because when I come back, we're going to do the one thing everyone's been waiting for. That's right. It'll be time for shameless self-promo Saturday shout outs. Welcome back. I know you're all ready for these shameless self-promo Saturday shoutouts. I know I certainly am. So let's get started. The first author I want to talk about is Catherine McDonald. 
You can follow her on Twitter at Kate MacArthur, an author being spelled just like book author there at the end, or visit her website, katemac89.wixsite.com forward slash Kate MacArthur. Her book is a romantic Beauty and the Beast retelling full of romance and longing and exquisite gothic imagery. You're not going to want to miss Heart of Thorns out now. Our next author shout out is going to go to Kelly Miller. She's a romance author who is celebrating some indie authors wins with her books like Death Takes a Holiday at Pemberley. This novel has taken two first place awards in romance from Royal Dragonfly Book Awards and Indies Today Book Awards. Also accusing Mr. Darcy, her other book, was recently named a finalist in the 2020 Wishing Shelf Book Awards. It was also voted first in romance in the Ally Division of Queer Indie Book Awards. Kelly can be found on Twitter at Kelly, R-E-I-007. You can also visit Kelly website www.kellymiller.merytonpress.com merytonpress.com so give her a look on twitter and of course on amazon.com Next up, this Shameless Self-Promo Saturday, we are promoing Kathleen Harriman, and you can follow her on Twitter at KathleenHarry, lowercase m, one. Her publication is titled Hidden Danger, a chilling psychological thriller. Meet Rita Jackson. She will steal your last breath and watch you die with a smile on her face in this chilling and captivating story. Check out Kathleen Harriman on Twitter and Amazon.com. Here comes another great indie author on Twitter. Her name is Chelsea Callahan, and you can follow her at The Writing Druid. We've mentioned Chelsea before here on The Writing Well podcast, but she has a new book out titled Wicked Raven. Three years ago, the Raven killed Alex Devereaux's fiance and blew her world apart. Now it's back to New York, leaving a trail of dead witches in its wake, and she just might be next. This book is available on Amazon.com in the U.S. and in the UK. Also follow Chelsea on Instagram using the same handle at the writing druid. Up for some spooky stories, then you're definitely up for Frank by author.brandon.d.henry on Instagram. This is the eighth book in his short scary story series. And I mean, this book has everything in here. We're talking about clowns in a cabin deep in the woods and the dead who drag their own coffins. And there's plenty more where that came from. Check out Frank on Amazon.com today and follow Brandon D. Henry on Instagram. That's it for our shameless self-promo Saturday shoutouts. Be sure to tune into the Writing Wall podcast on March 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another full episode. And we'll also have a special guest with us. Be sure to also check out our blog Monday morning and author Keith Wright, who will be our writer of the week. Listeners will also hear an exclusive excerpt of Keith's book on the 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you to all of our listeners, subscribers, and followers for being with us this evening. And thank you to all these wonderful indie authors who let us do these shout-outs for them and their books. Because we all have a story. I want to hear yours. What is your story?
Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave.